Welcome to the Temple of God, Church of God in Christ, a word for you. Hi, I'm Pastor Henry Marbley. You may be in your car right now and you turn to this station. Let me tell you, it was a word for you. God meant for you to turn that channel. You may be at home right now, relax and sit back. We're hoping to take you on a journey to God's word that will bless your hearts and may make a difference in anyone else. Call them on the phone right now. You'll be shocked how God will change your life. Two words, wonderful words, beautiful words, wonderful words of life. So God bless you. we hoping that you are attentive to this message. And I want you to sit back, get your spoon and fork out. It's going to be gravy. God bless you. Hi, my name is Daniel Springfield. I'm a minister and teacher of the Word of God. Welcome to A Word for You. For nearly two decades, one of the greatest burdens on my heart has been the burden for revival. As a lover of church history, my greatest heroes and examples are the great men and women of the past who God mightily used to bring about some of the most notable revivals in church history. People like George Whitfield, John Wesley, D.O. Moody, William Grimshaw, Duncan Campbell, Jonathan Edwards, along with many others. But what exactly is revival? How is it brought about? This is what we're going to be considering today on A Word for You. Our text will be found inside of Revelation chapter 2. But before we begin, we're going to open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for this hour that we have to consider your word. Thank you for the audience. And Father, I pray that you will minister to many hearts. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So, considering Revelation chapter 2, we're going to look at Revelation 2 and 3. Inside of these chapters, what we see is the Lord addressing seven churches. And the Lord himself is actually scrutinizing these churches and showing them the areas where they had fallen short and also showing them the areas where they were doing well. But what we also see inside of these chapters is where these churches needed to be revived. Because essentially, some of these churches needed to be revived because they had gotten off track. So we're going to consider three of them. The first one we're going to look at is the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 5. And it reads like this. Listen. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What I find very interesting about this church is that for all practical purposes, this is the ideal church. This is a great church. Listen to their credentials. He said, you guys, you've labored, you've been patient, you've persevered, you, you can't stand those who are evil, you've, uh, uh, you, you have tested the false, profs, the false apostles. These guys were great, but they had one problem. They left their first love. They got away from the basics, the basics and simplicity of following Christ. They left their first love. And then the Lord told them this. He said that you need to repent or else I will come and remove your lampstand. Now, what does that mean? I'm going to take away your light. You'll no longer be a light. You'll no longer be salt. You'll no longer have the power of the Holy Spirit using you anymore. 
because the Holy Spirit, you know, he uh, it speaks of that Holy Spirit fire, that lampstand, that oil. I'll remove that over that one thing. The church looked great. But then the Lord told them, you need to be revived. You need to get back to basics. Well, there was another church that looked good. And the Lord told them they need to be revived as well. And that's the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 to 20. Listen to what he says. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. But you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Look at that. Now, for I bet this church and these Christians, I bet they looked at themselves in the mirror and they probably figured they were doing wonderful. And they probably figured God was with them and God's favor was with them and God's blessing was on them. And they probably think all is well. But the Lord says, just because you have a lot of physical stuff doesn't mean I'm with you. He says, you don't know. They didn't know that they were poor, miserable, blind, and naked. They needed to be revived. So look at what he told them that they needed to do to be revived. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich. White garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eyesalve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous, and here's that word again, repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he is and he with me. The Lord was on the outside of his own church, knocking, trying to get back in. The church of Laodicea was in desperate need of revival. There's another church I want to look at, the final one in Revelation. Revelation 3, verses 1 through 3. Listen. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things says he, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. That you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful, and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast, and again, listen, repent. Here's a church, they, they sounded good, and they had a name, they were alive. But the Lord says, you're dead. And he tells them basically the same thing that he told the Ephesians. you got to go back to the basics. Remember how you heard and received and go back. And that's what revival usually is about. Getting back to the basics, getting back to the fundamentals of what the Lord has called us to. There are many red flags that indicate whether or not a church or an individual life is in need of revival. Such as uh, continuous, unrepentant, unconfronted sin. Or blindness concerning sin, the inability to discern sin for what it is. Or spiritual deadness, a regimented, routine, religious rut that focuses so much on orthodoxy that has lost sight of Christ. Or worldliness and carnality like the church of Laodicea. There are many, many red flags that indicate whether or not a church or an individual life is in need of revival. So what is revival? What exactly is revival? Well, there's one scripture inside of the Bible that really gives us a a signature description of what it means to be revived. And many of us are familiar with it. It's very commonly quoted inside of the church. And that's inside of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. Let's read that. This right here is probably the most popular scripture concerning revival inside of the Bible. And it says this. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among the people, if my people, who are called by my name, 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So this is a very popular and well-known scripture. But a couple of obvious things. Number one is the Lord is talking about his people, if my people. But another thing that's very important is this. This revival, the, the promises of this revival, primarily focus on Old Testament revival. Not to New Testament revival. What do I mean? There's a difference between Old Testament revival and New Testament revival. So the promises of this verse primarily are in reference to the promises, the blessings and curses described by Moses under the Old Testament law inside of the book of Deuteronomy. So the blessings and curses basically went like this. God said, if you guys turn into sin and rebellion, then I'm going to stop the rain. Your crops won't grow. You'll lose to your enemies. Your women won't give birth. And, you know, you'll you, you have diseases. The locusts will come and so on. But then the Lord says, if you repent and you walk right before me, then I'll bring the blessings again. The rain will fall. Your crops will grow. You'll win against your enemies. Your women, your women will have children. And I'll heal your diseases and so on. All. And so this is Old Testament revival. And this is exactly what the Lord was promising um, to Solomon and to the people of God through Solomon in the Old Testament. All of these physical blessings. So revival, in the Old, for, revival for the Old Testament Jews meant that God would remove his curse on the land and the people and restore his blessings to the land and the people. But revival in the New Testament, again, it's not the same as, as revival inside of the Old Testament. Both of them are different. Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament revival had to do with the physical people, and the fruitfulness of the land of Israel. New Testament revival primarily has to do with a spiritual people and spiritual growth and fruitfulness in the church. But unfortunately, many Western Christians are under the flawed assumption that revival means restoring America back to its traditional Christian roots. So whenever uh, you hear many Christians inside of America speaking of revival, one way or another, we always get around to reviving America for some reason. And we've associated America with somehow being, you know, the, uh, um, God's people. You know, America's a nation. It's a nation of the world. The church is God's people. But many Christians, like I mentioned, are focused on trying to revive America. So we spend excessive amounts of time and energy trying to bend the arm of the government to enact laws that will force lost people to act moral. But there are some critical things that many of us fail to realize. Number one, God himself already tried moralizing fallen man by laws. We know that, don't we? Remember? The law of Moses. The children of Israel had the only true theocracy that was ever on planet Earth. Now, someone may say, well, the Muslims have theocracies. No, they, they're under a false god. The only true theocracy where the true God w was at the center of the nation was Israel. He literally was there inside of his glorious presence. So that was the only true theocracy there. And all, not just a few, all of God's laws were righteous and moral. Yet the children of Israel rebelled constantly. Now, if God who visibly dwelt inside of the midst of his people Israel, could not make them moral by his hundreds of commands and righteous laws and precepts and statutes, what makes us think that we can make lost people moral by a handful of hobby horse moral causes? 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God failed, nor am I saying that the law failed. God's law was perfect. The problem was with us because we're sinful and imperfect. And that's why God established the law to expose our utter inability to keep it and to show us our need for a savior. So again, it is impossible to moralize fallen man by law. Another thing that I want to clarify is this. I'm not saying that we shouldn't express and vote according to our Christian values and politics. I'm not saying that. Matter of fact, just last weekend on September the 12th, I attended the grand opening of the only pro-life pregnancy clinic on the west side of Detroit. CareNet Pregnancy Center of Detroit is on 13864 Grand River Avenue. It's run by a great woman of God, Judy Simmons, and she's on the front lines saving lives. She's one of my heroes, and I encourage you to support her. What I'm pointing out is this. I am pointing out how so many churches have devoted so much time and energy trying to fix the country through man's government. And we've gotten away from what God has called us to be about as his church. God did not raise up his church in order for his people to spend so much time and energy trying to make laws for lost people to live by. God already did that and it failed bitterly. God raised up his church to go into all the world and make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember what Jesus Christ said? He said, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. In other words, I have authority over all the kings of the world. I have all authority. You go make disciples of all nations. And that's what the Lord has raised up his church to do. But this brings me to my next point. God only has one kingdom. Even though God has all authority in heaven and earth, that does not mean that the Lord is presently reigning over the kingdoms of this earth. God only has one kingdom and is not America. His theocracy over Israel has ended for now. The people of Israel, they, they, they've been, the Bible says they've been put into temporary darkness. I believe one day the Lord will return and restore the people of Israel. But right now, his theocracy over Israel has ended. God only has one kingdom today. And it is a spiritual kingdom. And that spiritual kingdom is his church. All the kingdoms of the world belong to the devil. Now, how do I know that? Well, inside of Luke chapter uh, 4, verses 5 through 7, listen to what, this, uh, what the devil says. He's talking to Jesus, and it's the temptation where he's trying to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to what is said. Then the devil, taking him up, to a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. And the Lord didn't correct him. The devil said, All these kingdoms have been given to me. These kingdoms belong to me, and I give them to whoever I want. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, the Bible says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world! The Lord didn't leave a part out. We cannot revive the kingdoms of the devil. Our primary concern should be revival in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and building his kingdom. So what about the Lord's kingdom? What does the Bible say about the kingdom that the Lord is, is reigning over right now in this world? Inside of John chapter 18, uh, verse 36, it says this. Listen, Jesus is talking to Pilate, and he says this. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. 
The Lord made it plain. My kingdom is not of this world. All the kingdoms of this world belong to the devil. As a matter of fact, even the disciples were under the assumption that the Lord's kingdom was going to be in this world at inside of their day. Listen to what the disciples asked the Lord Jesus Christ inside of Acts chapter uh, 1, verses 6 through 8. And then what I want you to hear is the Lord's response. This is very significant. So Acts chapter 1, 6 through 8, listen to this. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he answered and said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Do you get the point Christ just made? Do you hear what he just said? He's not making two points here. He's making one unified point. If we'll hear him. So the disciples asked him, Lord, are you about to restore the physical kingdom to Israel right now? And Jesus says, don't worry about that. It's not for you to know the times and seasons when I'm going to build the physical kingdom. But you will receive power and you'll be witnesses inside of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, don't worry about the physical kingdom right now. I'm going to give you power to build my spiritual kingdom. That's the kingdom that we need to concern ourselves with right now. And from that point on, the apostles preached and spread what they called the kingdom of God. We see that in Acts 8, Acts 14, 19, 20, and 28. The apostles, and Paul especially, went about saying we are preaching and building the kingdom of God. But many Christians today have traded off the power of the Holy Spirit and replaced it with the power of the vote, trying to get the government of man to do the church's job. The Lord called us to build his kingdom, his way, by his power. Furthermore, the apostles and the early Christians did not revive the Roman Empire. For the first three centuries of the church, the Roman Empire persecuted and slaughtered early Christians, feeding them to lions and burning them alive. Eleven of the apostles were martyred for their faith. John was boiled in oil and exiled. The early Christians went through severe persecutions. But listen, but they were the most powerful, fruitful, and successful church in history, even though they didn't revive the Roman Empire. The goal is not to change kingdoms and governments by obsessing over laws. The goal is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and to build the kingdom of God. That's the goal. That's what the Lord commanded us to do. So, it's when, the Lord's it's when the Lord returns that he's going to conquer all the kingdoms of the world, and then he will reign unrivaled on earth as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And it is then that the words of Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 will come true. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That is yet future. It is yet future when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of Christ. But right now, they are the kingdoms of the devil. And we cannot revive the kingdoms of the devil. Nor are we ever commanded to. If a nation changes, you know, uh, by chance because a church is revived, great, that's good. But there's no promise for that. The apostles didn't change the Roman Empire. There's no promise that we will change America. But we can, listen, revive the church. And that's what the Lord called us to do. And that's where souls are saved and brought into the kingdom that counts, the kingdom of Christ.
So our chief concern should be the revival and fruitfulness of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that starts with every individual Christian determining to get right with God, turning from all known sin and seeking the Lord with all their heart. And when we are revived, the Lord fills us with his spirit and his power and influences the lives of those all around us. So, do you want the Lord to fill your life with fruitfulness and power and victory over sin? Do you want that? I understand what it means to be fruitless and powerless and struggling with sin. I understand that all too well. But listen, more importantly, I also understand what it means to be revived. And it has become the, the highlight of my life. And I am determined to spread the word and to bring as many people along as I can. If you are longing for victory and for fruitfulness, the Lord has said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's a promise. That's a promise. Consider the churches that the Lord addressed inside of the book of the Revelation. And invite the Lord to scrutinize your life like he scrutinized them. Invite the Lord to scrutinize your life. Say with David, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Do you long for revival in your own life? Then allow the Lord to scrutinize your life. Draw close to him. And then do what the Lord commanded each of those churches to do. Repent. Not rededicate. Repent. We've come up with the idea of rededication. And that's fine and all. But the problem is, uh, um, many Christians, multitudes of Christians, who come forward to rededicate their lives to the lie, rededicate their lives to the Lord. Unfortunately, many of them have not been taught that they need to repent of the very sins that caused them to stray in the first place. The Lord never commanded people to rededicate them, themselves. Inside of the churches of Revelation, where the Lord uh, addressed them when they got off track, he didn't tell them to rededicate themselves. He commanded them to repent. Why? Because it was something that made them go astray in the first place, and that something was sin. And that's where revival starts. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin, and heal their land. That, believer, is revival. But maybe you're not a believer at all. Maybe you're still lost. Maybe you've never been saved. Well, understand this. You're a sinner. And one day you're going to stand before a holy God, and you will be judged for your sin. But God loved us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, to be buried, and to rise again from the dead. And now he tells all of us that through faith in him, we can have our sins washed away, and we can be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And so, Father, thank you for this time that you've given us again to be able to look into your word. And, Father, I pray you'll minister to many hearts. Revive us, Lord. Build us up. And I pray you'll save the lost. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Well, speaking of revival, we're going to be holding a three-day revival meeting at the, at the Good Fight of Faith Ministries on October the 8th, 9th, and 11th. The address of the church is 19160 Evergreen Road inside of Detroit. Yours truly will be the speaker. And my earnest and honest prayer is that the Lord will save souls and revive lives inside of those days. I hope to see you there. 
Bring a Friend. Again, it'll be October the 8th, 9th, and 11th. And the address of the church is 19160 Evergreen Road, Detroit. Good Fight of Faith Ministries. I hope to see you there. And I pray the Lord will revive many souls that day. So thank you for joining us again today on A Word for You. I pray that the Lord has blessed you. We come, come on every Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m., sometimes 7 on Saturdays. Again, we come on every Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m., sometimes 7 p.m. on Saturdays. Again, thank you for joining us. So until next time, may God bless you and keep you and direct you into his perfect will for your life. been listening to the Word for You broadcast, a teaching ministry from Pastor Marbley and the Temple God Ministries, located at 9392 Mac Avenue, Detroit, Michigan, 48214. Are you in need of prayer? Feel free to call us now at 313-424-3065. Again, that number is 313-424-3065. We hold weekly services promptly at 12 noon every Sunday. We cannot stay on the air without your help. Donations can be made out to Temple of God Ministries, 9392 Mac Avenue, Detroit, Michigan, 48214. Please support this broadcast as we proclaim the Word of God. And please support our feeding and track ministry as well. Thank you in advance. This program is sponsored by the Temple of God Ministries.